0: everybody great to see you thanks for coming on a sunny bank holiday sunday it's good to have you with us Uh, nigel sends his love he's just currently upstairs in blaze in one of our kids groups we've had um, a a family from the church who was stuck in sardinia with the ba crisis and they would have been in kids this morning so what a nice place to be stuck hey god bless graham and jane (laughs) now as claire's mentioned we are talking we're in the middle of a series at the moment about money sex and power And um, I don't think there are any kids around. If you have got kids with you, it's your choice whether they remain here. And as Nigel said, you may have some interesting conversations over lunch, but if you want to have those, you're very welcome to do that. And so one of the questions will be, well, why are we going on about this? Why are we talking about, um, in particular, talking about sex this week? But money, sex and power, as Claire has said, are hot potatoes. They're big issues in our relationships. They're big issues in our world. And all three are gifts that God's given us. They have potential for tremendous blessing but also they have the potential to trip us up to get in the way of looking at Jesus and focusing our lives on him and so because they're such important things that's why I want to talk about them I know the church often doesn't talk about sex and if you've been coming as a guest with us for the past three weeks you'd think all we do talk about is sex but that's not true it's just this series and next week we're on to power so you can all breathe again Now, a few weeks ago, Nigel reminded us that sex is meant to be joyful, it's meant to be memorable, it's never meant to be something that we feel ashamed or awkward about. But it also is dangerous, and if you were here last week, you will have heard Chris talking about pornography, an absolutely excellent talk. And if you've missed either of those, I just recommend that you do have a listen on the podcast, which you can access via our website, um, because they've been really exceptional talks. You know, as, a, as a, a preacher being given one of these subjects, you kind of go, mm, big gulp, how's this going to go? And both those guys have done great job, so I feel the, the weight of responsibility this morning to finish off the series well. But as Nigel said a few weeks ago, the Bible's teaching on sex and sexuality challenges all of us. Our culture talks about it a lot, it's out there all the time. But church often says very little, and yet the Bible has plenty to say. And since we've started this topic, a number of people have been kind of chatting to me, or I've been asking them how they're finding it, how things are going. And you know, I've been blown away. As Claire was saying when she spoke a moment ago... Some people are making hugely courageous decisions to make changes. There are people who are stopping sexual relationships that have been going for a number of years because actually looking at the Bible they know that they're wrong and they're trying to follow Jesus and they've decided that he's more important than the relationship they're in. And that takes immense courage. And there are other people who just really encourage that we're being open and talking about the struggles and challenges that many of us do face. Because when we bring things out into the open, then we can deal, about, deal with them. When things are covered up, when things are hidden, then it's very difficult for them to, for us to see change. And so whether you're married or single, whether you're divorced or separated or widowed, this issue can be an, an issue for everybody. And most people don't feel comfortable talking about it, but we have to because it's so important in following Jesus. Now, do you know, one member of our church family Um, who's a single lady, emailed me a reminder and an encouragement. And I wanted to kind of put that at the front of my talk today. She said, we need to remember that it's not inevitable that people are going to fail or mess up in the area of sex and sexuality. And of course that's true. There are many, many single people who are following Jesus, who are living really fulfilling lives according to biblical principles. And there are many, many married people who are having very wonderfully satisfying sex lives but we need to talk about this appropriately. And so thinking, and Nigel said a few weeks ago that I was going to talk about singleness, and at one point we thought this talk might be singleness, but actually I'm going to talk about it a bit at the beginning, but there's something else that I felt like God wanted us to share that that, covers, that kind of works for all of us and is important for all of us to hear. But thinking about people who are single, obviously in this season of my life I can't talk from personal experience, I can't tell you what it's like to be 47 and single but I do know what it is like to be single because I was single for a long time before I met and married Nigel and I know what it's like to make difficult and sometimes really painful choices to follow what the Bible says and to stay pure and sometimes to feel left out or alone when it feels like you're the only person who hasn't got a life partner but I really want to be clear that actually we don't believe in this church that being married is the best thing And neither do we think that being single is the best thing. Both have their own joys, their own challenges, their own pressures and their own opportunities. And if you are single, happily or not, and if you're married, happily or not, Jesus has something to say to you today. And he promises life in all its fullness, whichever situation you find yourself in. Now, I don't say this often, and I'm aware Nigel's not here, but he knows this, so I'm, I can say this. But for me personally, it was a really big deal to give up the freedom of being single to marry him. He is a wonderful guy. I'm really glad I did marry him. But as a singer, I'll just make, I'll put that on the record. He is great. I love being married to him. That's really good. But being married isn't the be-all and end-all of everything. And having a husband, however wonderful he is, means that my life choices have been very different. And some things that may have been in my heart to do or that I could have seen myself doing are not available to me and are not an option to me anymore. And so, if you are married, sometimes it's very easy to think the grass is always greener on the other side. If I was single again, I could go where I wanted, do what I wanted, be free to go off and do this, that and the other. My money would be my own. But if you're single, sometimes it's very easy to think the grass is greener on the other side. I'd have a partner who was with me always. I'd have someone who loved and cared me for me completely. I'd have someone to bring me a cup of tea in the morning, whatever the thing is. And there are some truths on either side of those. But God calls us to be content where he's called us. You know, I was talking to a friend last week who's nearly 50 and she's single. And I said, how do you deal with the cultural pressures that you face of being sexually active I mean she's a really she's a wonderful lady she has a fantastic job she travels she does all kinds of things so being single for her is a real freedom but there is still pressure and she said I choose to focus on Jesus I aim to live my life to the full in every season at the moment I'm single that may or may not change but I'm choosing to live as full on for Jesus as I can now in every way rather than trying to live in the past or just wait for a different future an older single lady who I respect hugely once told me that she's seen so many difficult and painful marriages, she would much rather live a fulfilling single life than be caught in a terrible marriage like some of her friends who'd married just so they would avoid being single. But I think whether we are single or we're married, we are called to be God's family. And it's important that we look out for each other. And if we are part of a family a nuclear family maybe thinking about inviting somebody in who doesn't have a life partner to live with it doesn't have those opportunities to connect with people in the same way but if we are single then also there are opportunities to support and encourage and help married folk too it's not a them and an us thing we are church family together now, when we talk to leaders in our church, one of the things, we we'll could get back to our theme about talking about sex. Um, one of the things we often do with our leaders, well, not often, on occasion, we we'll try and ask appropriately, say, how are things going? You know, if you're, if you're married, so how's your sex life? You know, if you're single, so how are you finding things? Because this is part of our walk with Jesus. And last weekend, we were away at a conference, and on Sunday, we went to church, and I sat, found myself sitting next to this lady I'd never met before, and we just struck up a conversation, as you do. And um, she, I was asking about herself, and she said, well, do you know, today is our sixth wedding anniversary. And I said, oh, congratulations, how wonderful. And then before I thought about what I was saying, I said, can I ask you a personal question? And she kind of nodded. How's your sex life? And then all of a sudden, I was just like, oh, Joe, what earth have you done this poor woman? She doesn't, she's not from our church. <laughs> she doesn't know what we're talking about. She doesn't know this is the kind of thing that we ask. This poor dear lady was sitting there. And, you know, I was covered in confusion. And I started to backtrack. I'm so sorry, I'm in a church. We're just talking about this, blah, 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 and try and explain myself away about why I'd asked this really, really personal question bless her as I was flustered she looked me straight in the face and she said it's not very good and it never has been and I said oh so actually perhaps it was the right question even though it seemed maybe to have been the wrong context and as we chatted about it it was really sad actually it turned out that she had been abused as a child and that she had never um, been able to um, have the opportunity to deal with that and as a result her relationship with her husband although he was a lovely man was painful and emotionally she couldn't get close to him and so I said to her "Well, have you had any help with this? and do you know I who I felt heartbroken because she looked at me and she said help? and she had no idea that things could be better and I felt so grateful that we do have streams of hope here and we have people who can help and pray and support because Jesus has so much better for us than just living in the brokenness of the past. And so I was able to pray with her, and um, I kind of sent her off to talk to some friends who her at Belfast Vineyard because she lives over, um, over the water, and really pleased that actually there is hope, and she's discovering some hope there now. And so today I wanted to look in the Bible, and we're going to look at how Jesus helped someone who had a sexual past, and we're going to think about what that might mean to us today. It's a wonderful story. It's found in the New Testament in John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And the words are going to come on the screen, and also I'm going to read it from the message translation of the Bible. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. The religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who'd been caught in an act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away one after the other, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, Master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. Now, I just love this story. I think it tells us so much about Jesus. But I want you just for a moment to picture the scene. Help us get a context for what's going on. Jesus is in the temple courts. There are crowds of people there all around after the feast. It's been the Feast of Tabernacles. Tensions are actually running quite high. He's been teaching the people already. If you flick back in your Bible to John chapter 7, you'll see that he stood up on the last day of the festival and he said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now we might say, Oh, how nice. But the Jewish leaders knew that this was a challenge because this reflected back to Isaiah 55 where God was inviting people to come if they were thirsty, to come to him. And this is Jesus' of way, way of saying, slightly in code but not too coded, I'm the one that God's sending. Come to me. And so the Jewish leaders are really outraged. They're really cross. They want to sort this out straight away. And they want to trick Jesus and the way that they're going to try and publicly humiliate him is ask him a really difficult question that has no answer. Do you ever get those? Anyone got kids? Mum, why? I have no idea. I don't know how to answer this one. And so what they've done is they've actually slept on it. They've had a th- th- think about this. The next day, they've dragged this poor woman in front of Jesus. A woman caught in the act of adultery. What does that mean? She literally dragged off some guy? It's a horrible thought. She's hauled up in front of everyone. She may well be only partially clothed. At best, she's feeling humiliated, she's feeling exposed, she's feeling ashamed. And at worst, she's probably terrified. She could be expecting brutal violence and a painful death because the Jewish law decreed that people caught in the act of adultery would be stoned. That's death. Throwing stones till you die. Not a great way to go. And this is where the trick comes in. Because the Jewish leaders say to Jesus, so what are you going to do? And if he says, yes, stone her, then he's showing, number one, he does understand the law of Moses. He's a good Jewish leader. But the Romans have said that people are not allowed to be stoned. And there would have most likely been Roman soldiers in the temple at this time, looking out for unrest on this day of tension. So Jesus, if he says, yes, stone her, he's in trouble with the Romans if he says no don't stone her and the Jews need to go ha well you obviously don't know your scriptures you don't know what you're talking about she deserves to die now as it says in the passage Jesus doesn't respond at once I just thought note to self when asked a difficult question when in a tricky situation sometimes it's probably best not to respond at once and what he does actually he bends down and he just writes in the dust and lots of people have wondered what he might have written I heard somebody explain, and I thought, "What a lovely thing, and this really resonates with the way that I know Jesus, which is that as he wrote in the dust, his eyes would have been what he was right on what he was writing. So many people would have been staring straight at that woman in her humiliation and in her shame and in her brokenness, exposed for everyone to see. And yet Jesus chose to look away. He didn't want to add to her humiliation. The other thing that he's doing is he's actually playing the Jewish leaders at their own game because this day was effectively, it's the day when the Sabbath laws would have been kept by the Jews and on those days you were allowed to write but not on parchment. You couldn't make a permanent mark on something but you could write in the dust or somewhere that was impermanent and the dust would be blown away so it wasn't a permanent place to write. So Jesus was saying, I know the law, you can't trick me on this and he dealt with his trap in the most masterful way. If you remember what he said in verse 7, the sinless one among you go first, throw the stone. He's actually saying, I know she's guilty. There is a punishment. She should die. Now, who's going to be responsible for killing her? And this throws the ball right back in the Jewish leader's court because claiming to be sinless is obviously a lie. They would know Ecclesiastes 7.20, which says, there's not a righteous man on the earth who does what is right and never sins. Or in Romans, the way that many of us would know the verse, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know we've all done stuff wrong. And so the older and the wiser ones in the group understood what was going on. Their hearts were revealed. Jesus had shown them, of course we all mess up. And they began to slip away, one at a time. But Jesus, as well as showing them their hearts, was actually saying something really important to the woman and to us. Because what he says is, if you've messed up sexually, you're not alone. Look around. Who is there to condemn you? There's nobody. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. And if you feel that you're carrying guilt or shame or pain, you're not the only one. It might be that you're sleeping with someone that you're not married to. It might be that you've been looking at pornography. You may be having an affair. You may feel guilt or shame as a result of something that somebody has done to you. Many people have had sexual experiences that they would rather forget and memories that they don't want to carry. And you're not the only one. You're not alone. But the wonderful thing is that we're not left in our mess. In fact, can you flick onto that photo, Will? Um, Chris, I'm so sorry, I put it in the wrong order. But can you show us number eight really quickly? I just love this picture. (laughs) This guy. Sad story. Someone um, took his mobile phone and chucked it down the drain and he decided to go in after it and got stuck. Completely in a mess. He was there 40 minutes shouting until someone came and rescued him. Poor bloke. I know, but you just think, what a picture. He's in a mess. He can't get out. And some of us are in a mess, and we can't get out. We can't sort this thing out on our own. Do you know, these these issues are really real issues. Um, Someone came to me a few years ago, and she was married, and she said, we sat down for a cup of coffee, and she just said, I'm thinking about having an affair. And I was a bit taken aback. And I said, well, tell me about that. And she said, well, my marriage isn't in a good place. My sex life life is really unsatisfactory. My husband just doesn't seem to want to make love with me. Emotionally, we're really distant. You know, I think I'm just going to go and find somebody who really does appreciate me and who does want, want me as me. And she was a really lovely, attractive woman. And I said, I can understand how an affair looks like. It could solve some of your problems. It could seem like a good way to get the intimacy that we all really long for. But it's never a good idea. I know people who've had affairs, I know that it hurts them. It hurts their lover, it hurts their spouse, it hurts their family and their friends, and it hurts their kids. It devastates trust, it brings shame on the family, it affects the way your kids see you and your, their expectations about how marriages work and how relationships work, and it messes up your view, their view of you as a role model in their eyes. And if you're a follower of Jesus and people find out, which many times they do, it drags his name through the, through the mud. Now I realize what I'm saying is quite full on. But it's really important that we know the truth. That sometimes these things look like they are a good solution, that they're going to help us, that they're going to meet our needs. But sex in the wrong place causes pain and it causes scars. And as Chris reminded us last week, it's not just the physical act of sleeping with someone. It can be looking at porn. It can be having thoughts and fantasies, reading erotic novels. All those different things are sex in the wrong places. And as a follower of Jesus, it affects not only you and those around you, but Jesus himself. And you know, I wasn't sure about reading this with you, but it is in the Bible. So um, (laughs) I wonder if maybe I should. And I don't mean to be heavy, but I just want to tell us the truth. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it's said, The two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. This passage tells us that as Christians, we are united to Christ. This union involves both our body and our spirit. And if we have... Illegal or illicit sexual unions. John Piper, who we heard from in the first week, his phrase is that these drag Jesus into the bed of unholy pleasure and make him a partner in the act. And if we see and cherish the beauty and the worth of Jesus, his preciousness and his purity, his holiness and his glory, we won't do that. The way that we live our lives really makes a difference. This isn't just about coming on Sunday And singing the songs and maybe going to life group in the week. The things that all of us do, the choices that we make, have a huge impact on ourselves, on the honour of Jesus, and on the people around us. So, back to the woman caught in the act. What about her? We don't even know her name, but forever she's got that label, the woman caught in adultery. She had no opportunity to tell her story or to explain. She's caught in the middle of this situation. Maybe she's asking herself, how on earth did I get in this mess? Were these moments of intimacy I felt with this guy worth this? And maybe you're in a relationship or a situation like that now. How did I get here? My plans were never to do this. My expectations were so different. How did I get into this mess? No one intends to get into a marriage and then just wreck it. No one dreams of having their heart broken, and no one intends to share their body again and again and again until they feel cheap and dirty and unloved. We have a dream of something so much better. And that dream originates in the heart of God. He wants us to know that we are loved. He wants us to be secure, to feel treasured. And often our reality is not the same. And, you know, I wondered about the bloke in all this. As they say, it takes two to tango. Both were guilty, takes two to commit adultery, and they both deserved to be stoned according to Jewish law. But only the woman was brought forward. And on one level, as I was reading, I thought, that is so unfair. And yet, on this day, I think she got the better deal. She met Jesus. She experienced his help, his compassion, and he literally saved her life. We've no idea whether the man who was sleeping with her ever encountered Jesus or what happened to him. And I was thinking of her, it just reminded me, you know, having our sin brought into the light is painful. It can be terrifying. But if we choose to run to Jesus with it, then there is forgiveness and freedom, and he can bring change. It can be the best day of our lives. And at the end of the passage, we're left with a bit of a cliffhanger, a bit of an East Enders moment. I couldn't remember what the drum roll for How's it go? The, the, I, do, 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 do. Is that the one? I did it to Nigel when I was talking to about it yesterday. He said, no, that's Countdown. I thought, no, I won't do Countdown. <laughs> <laughs> the Enders one. Do, 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 whatever it is. <laughs> it's an Enders moment, isn't it? What's she going to do? How annoying. You turn the page of the Bible, it doesn't tell you what she did. He says, go on your way, just don't sin anymore. He gives her a clean slate. And we have no idea whether she changed her ways. And, you know, it seems a really cheap easy thing he's just said off you go there's no consequence what have you done you did sin you're off the hook but the only way that Jesus could give her that new start was because he knew that the penalty was going to be paid the price for adultery was death and it was paid because Jesus paid it and as I've been reflecting on this I I don't know where this sits in theology but it's one thing that is probably a, a proper name for it but something that has really struck me about Jesus that I find what was awesome really is that everything that he did in his life, healing, forgiving, setting people free, it was kind of like he set up a tab at a bar or he opened up a credit card. He welcomed people to receive from him, but he knew every time there was a cost attached effectively, every time that he forgave sin, that he combated the effects of sin and disaster, it was like another nail in his crown. It was like another nail in his hand. And yet he willingly did that. And the point isn't that forgiveness is cheap. It's far from cheap. It is so costly. Jesus paid with his life and wonderfully... God is outside time and although the cross was a moment in history all of the sin prior to that and all that we do following that can all be paid for can all be reconciled because of that incredible day that incredible moment the sin that we commit now 2,000 years later the choices we make to put other things in front of him the daily decisions to step out of the light and not look to him all of those have a cost now earlier on we saw Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that's true. But thankfully there is a Romans 24. It says that we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Those are quite long words. And so I looked it up in the message version of the Bible. And what he says is that, what it says is this. Out of sheer generosity God put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we were in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. So we don't know what happened to that woman in that story. We don't know whether she changed or she just breathed a sigh of relief and went on to find another guy. But if the Holy Spirit's nudging you today, Jesus is giving you an opportunity to come to him, to say you're sorry for what you've done and to receive forgiveness for that. Today is a day for a brand new start. Today is a day when we can have a slate clean. We have a choice to stop sinning, Or to keep going. And that's our choice. So what can we do? Well, there's plenty of help in the Bible, which is wonderful. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, First, confess to God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if you feel like the Holy Spirit's nudging you about something, then take it to him. Say sorry and ask for his forgiveness. And then in James 5.16, it says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And do you know, this is really awkward and embarrassing sometimes. We don't want people to know that we've got stuff. We don't want people to know that we do things wrong. Do you know, I had a hugely embarrassing time a number of years back when um, I... There was a guy that I knew who was a Christian leader who I hugely respected. And I found that, as he said, kind of encouraging things to me, they were just kind of carrying more weight than really they would. And I was looking for him for affirmation in ways that I shouldn't have been. should have been looking to God and to Nigel. And instead I was kind of like, oh, I wonder what he thinks. Oh, I wonder what he's going to say. And I was just in worship one day, and I just felt like God said, flee from sexual immorality. I was like, what? I haven't done anything. But you know, often the thoughts of our heart, and the, the way, that's where fantasies start, and that's where problems begin that lead us into sin. And if we're really serious about Jesus, what we need to do is we need to cut those off as soon as they come in. We need to take every thought captive. And so I went to a friend of mine, um, and I was hugely embarrassed because she knew this guy, and I just felt like I had to confess. I had to tell her the situation And, you know, she heard me so graciously. And she said, okay, let's just pray. And so we prayed. And for me, that was the end of it. Bringing that out into the light just opened it up. And it wasn't a problem any longer. Whereas keeping it hidden away can often mean that things can fester and get worse and become something else. And so I just encourage you to take courage. Whether you've got the start of something going on, whether you feel tempted to have an affair, whether you're looking at pornography, whether there's stuff in your past that needs dealing with, Jesus offers an opportunity to sort it out and he offers freedom. And today's a really good day for that. Now this series is called Walking with Jesus on purpose, because we want to be a people who walk really closely with him. We don't want to be distracted by sex outside his proper boundaries. We want to enjoy the gifts that he's given us. And we want to show the rest of the world that we can live walking with him and no life in all its fullness. Thank you for listening so attentively. Um, as a, a pointer, in a moment, we're going to have some time to pray. As Claire has mentioned, there are plenty of ways that you can have help through this church. There are ministry opportunities. And there are courses. But before we think about any of that, I would love us just to stand together. That's David, you can come back up if that's okay. We're just going to have the chance to connect with God together. So why don't we stand? Nicole, do you want to come and join me? Thanks. I've said a lot of words. And I would love us just to pause... Just see if the the Holy Spirit is nudging you in any way about this topic, and then we'll think about how.